Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And I am delighted today to have a local author who is from my area um, on the show today. Her name is Leslie Slope. So Leslie, say hi to our listeners. Hello, everybody. We are so glad to have you. So I met Leslie from um, kind of haven't met her personally face to face, but I was in a writer's workshop that our Longview Public Library area um, had put together with WordFest with Alan Rose, um, fabulous writer in our area, and he helped put together a workshop. And Leslie was one of our panelists. So I am thrilled. Um, she doesn't know this, but as she was sharing, I was completely enthralled with what she was talking about. So I'm pretty excited that we're going to get to dig into a couple of things that she had mentioned during that time and we get to share with you guys. So Leslie, first, I'd like to introduce um, my the authors that come on the podcast to listeners by you letting us know what state you're in. I kind of gave a clue, but what state in the Pacific Northwest do you live in? I live in Oregon. I grew up in Washington State, but um, since I got married, I've lived in Oregon. Ah, so you must be on the other side of the river because I don't think you're that far from me. <laughs> no, I'm in Rainier. Like I gotcha. can see Longview from my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Rainier is wonderful, beautiful um, land. You can get some pretty good land out there and, and see the river and everything. So, so great. So Leslie, tell our listeners a little bit about, about your writing background. Um, I find it fascinating. So um, you did write full time. Um, is that correct? With the yeah. daily news, with our... Yeah. I was... I was a uh, worked for the Daily News for 34 years, mm-hmm. yeah. and I did all kinds of writing while I was there, starting with classified advertising. And I was a reporter and wrote features and hard news and personal columns and uh, editorials and obituaries, wedding announcements. You name it, I wrote it. I, I even not. wrote a couple of sports stories, and I'm Ooh. not a sports fan. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, not all my listeners know this, because I haven't really revealed this, unless they're listeners that I have from high school. I got the writing bug working in our uh, newspaper for our high school. So I started out writing for the newspaper, and then ended up being the editor, and worked on the yearbook. I was editor for, I think, three years, so my sophomore, junior, senior year, fell in love. I actually thought I was going to go into journalism and took a route um, that was not journalism at all. I actually had kids and wasn't in school after that, after graduating from high school. So I'm kind of coming back around to what I, what I started out in high school. So I'm fascinated that Leslie was um, a writer for the Longview Daily News because I did read your articles when I was in high school. So it's pretty exciting. So tell us, Leslie, what have you published since um, being, you know, as a writer, because we really focus on publishing um, quite a bit here on the podcast. Um, do you have anything that's in print that other, besides the Longview Daily News, that our listeners can get a hold of? Um, in 2003, my story, The Tale Teller, was published in the book, The Healing Heart Families, edited by Allison Cox and David Albert, mm-hmm. um, published by New Society Publishers. I'm really proud of that. It's a, there were two books in this uh, collection, and it's so they're basically anthologies. They're on a common theme. Yeah, it's about healing. Yeah. Um, I've also had stuff published in the Cowitz Historical Quarterly. Oh yes. My, uh, historical biographies. That, mm-hmm. uh, 
I've had um, a poem was in the Salal Review. Oh, yes. Yes. And um, then I have a play, which, though I wouldn't say it's actually published, it mm-hmm. will be, by the time this uh, podcast airs, the play itself will be, uh, have been um, produced on a podcast. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, Ashland. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'll dive into that a little bit because I'm very curious about that. I, I had heard a little bit about the play going on podcast, so I, we'll, we'll dive into that. But let me back up just a little bit. You mentioned um, the Salal Review, and um, if my podcasters had listened during the month of October, they know that I was plugging the Salal Review um, for people that live in our Laura Columbia region to submit to it. The Salal Review is a really award-winning literary magazine from our community college. So congratulations on being published there. Wonderful work. Well, thank you. They, I they love do. the Salal Review. Oh, I do too. I really do. I, I as, a, as a Laura Columbia College alumnus, I yeah. wanted to have something in that. And I was really excited when when they picked up uh, my poem. Yeah, that's great. Well, that is one of my aspirations as well. I am also LCC alum and I have not submitted yet. I'm a little scared to submit to the Salah Review because it's so, you know, it's it's like... Oh, but like, they're really nice there. Even um, even though you don't necessarily get your stuff in because I've turned in things that didn't get in. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a painless process. They're yeah. Very nice. Yeah, well, I'm fortunate enough to know the advisor for this year. So her and I are very good friends. We meet for coffee often, and she's also a writer. So I'm kind of lucky we have a great community of writers in our area. So it's great. So one thing, Leslie, that you mentioned in our meetings when I when I first was introduced to you um, as an author in the library meetings was the Storyteller Network, and you're a storyteller for that. So can you explain to our listeners Give us a little bit of background of what that is and because and, it's a little different than writing from what I understand, if I'm correct. Um, it is kind of, I mean, I, I, when I prepare a story as a storyteller, um, I don't write it down. I write it, like I say, in the air. Mm-hmm. It's, it's completely oral, com- uh, oral composition and oral performance. Um, it's very rare that I might get it down on paper. Um, the Storytellers Network is it began as an offshoot of the College Reading Council back in uh, 2000 or in 1998, I think. Okay, there about I mean, long time, long time back, mm-hmm. and I was no 1990. Golly, that was longer ago than yeah. It was formed in 1990. Um, most of the members um, over the years have been uh, teachers. Mm-hmm. I'm the odd journalist. Mm-hmm. Most people involved in professional storytelling have been teachers or librarians. Mm-hmm. Some of them have mm-hmm. been psychologists. And there's just, um, there's one other journalist I can think of. But storytelling is something that informs my writing very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I explore my, I mean, I'm really fond of the folk tales. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been a big fan of, of that uh, type of story, but Storytelling is more than that. You find stories that speak to you personally, whether they it doesn't matter that they're a folktale or not. There's something in there that is a it is a constant universal truth, and it speaks to you, and you want to share it. That's what brings it out in the story. the The fairy tale part that's just a frame. Mm-hmm. So I just find them very deep and very very complex, and I love them. And uh, so, as a member of the Storytellers Network, I have performed all over the Northwest, mm-hmm. mostly Seattle, Port Angeles, um, Portland, 
Um, I performed in Eugene and Salem and, you know, just up and down the mm-hmm. corridor mm-hmm. and most amazing people. And mm-hmm. this is how my story, the tale teller got in the healing heart families. Um, it is a production of people who are professional storytellers around the world. Oh. Oh, wonderful. Well, so take me personally through the process because I'm envisioning what I think the process is for storytelling and tell us how it differs from an actual writing piece because like you said, you don't write it down. It's oral storytelling. How do you remember it if you're going to retell it again? It's so amazing. (laughs) Remembering is, I mean, if I'm rehearsing it and I get interrupted, because mm-hmm. when I began, I, I had small children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll be rehearsing and then I'll have to stop and go do something like make supper. Mm-hmm. And I come back to it, whether it doesn't matter where I am, in the shower, in the car, in my dream. I start where, right where I left off. That's astonishing. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. It never happened with any other kind of writing. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, it must be a gift. I, I have to think it's going to be, it's a gift because I can't imagine because if I get interrupted in my writing, it takes me a while to get back. I have to go back and read several paragraphs to get back into what I was going towards. So I can't imagine it being oral. Do you audio um, record yourself or is it just you go for it when you're first working on it and just practice it? I just go for it wow. um, until the words fall into place. It, I don't write anything else that way. I, mm-hmm. I do kind of work with playwriting um, in the oral voice a lot, but it's mm-hmm. not the same. It, it doesn't come together quite the same way. It's, nothing is like this. Um, there is a uh, good instruction book, uh, The Storyteller Startup Book by Margaret Reed McDonald that explains how to put a story together, okay. how to learn a story in an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, you are working, for one thing, with folklore, it's all the linear. There's nothing... There's no flashbacks. Every, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Here. So that in one way makes you easy. It makes it easy to keep track. And then you also get the bones uh, of the story, just the, the essence of it, the, uh-huh. the sequence of events and what they mean. And that part, I just write down. That's uh-huh. the only thing I write down, just the uh-huh. bones. And uh-huh. then once I've written them down once, I don't usually have to refer to them again because I know what bone I'm in when I leave off. Ah, and I just okay. go back to that bone. That makes sense. So if I listen to you tell a sto- one of your stories here in my area, and then I followed you down to Eugene, and you were doing another performance, and you were telling that exact same story, would there be variations from different? Yes. Okay. See, that's what, what intrigues me about it. There are variations sometimes because of the audience. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I need to explain something if I'm telling a story and I just know everybody knows all the elements, mm-hmm. um, then I might tell it one way. But if I realize that I'm going to have to educate someone, if I'm ex- if I'm introducing them to something new, a new concept, or, then I'll give them that as part of the story. Oh, I, would, I, I just insert that in the narrative. Okay. But there's so, also those little things that just happen in, in a live performance that might go wrong. I might forget something. I might uh-huh. have to uh-huh, exactly. out of my linear time and... and thread in a very important detail that I forgot. And live is live. So you you have to improvise. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well that but also, you know, the audience may laugh. Some some there might be children who want who just so want to share and they just want to say something and you respond, but you still have to keep the story on track. So all Mm -hmm. these things help make a live performance different. 
How absolutely fascinating. Well, we'll make sure that that book is listed in show notes for any of my authors or aspiring authors or listeners that are listening that feel like it's something that they would like to explore. So does the story, the, the storyteller network, is it a regional? Um, do you meet with individuals and you work on uh, sharing your works together with each other, like a writer's group? Is that what the network is? We're not as active as we used to be. We used to get together for regular rehearsals and work on other other uh, stories with each other. We're much smaller now, mm-hmm. but we have. It's not. Um, it's just regional. It's just uh, Catwood County, Columbus mm-hmm. County. Um, we we do um, storytelling at the museum every year, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes we're a network, so it's not this, quite the same as a as a. Uh, as a club, mm-hmm. we work with each other. If someone invites me to do a storytelling event and I can't, mm-hmm. I will find another storyteller who can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we also um, go down to Portland, sometimes working with the Portland Storytellers Guild, or I have uh, plans as we speak, it's in November, um, to go to the Seattle Storytellers Guild and perform with members of that guild and um, storytellers from other parts of the Northwest and Canada in a day-long North uh, epic. Oh, that's fascinating. And we do things like that. Is that open to read listeners as well, or is it just for oh, you? Yeah, I would think it would be very wonderful. It's at the Nordic Museum up there. Fantastic. So here's the podcaster in me. I'm wondering, maybe I I just haven't looked, are there storyteller podcasts where storytellers are getting together a network of individuals and doing it live or using podcasts as a medium? If not, why not? I believe believe that there are some. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Dodie Coyote does. Mm -hmm. And he's down in um, Southern Oregon. Okay. No, maybe I, I'll look I haven't uh, looked, but I would not be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either because podcasts are a fabulous medium for something like this. So listeners, I'll do some looking. And if there is anything that I find, I'll make sure it's on show notes so that you can hear maybe a podcast like this. And and um, we'll, we'll put some connections in there. So absolutely fascinating. So Leslie, as an author, as a print author, going from storytelling to print author now, how is the storytelling practice changed the way you write? as an author or has it, it has made me really aware of how the threads intersect mm-hmm. and where I am going with a story where I want it to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, whether I am telling a story through the newspaper or if I'm working on a play or a piece of fiction, um, I consider myself a conduit for other people's stories as far as being a reporter is concerned. They have a story they want to tell. They're kind of intimidated by the idea of telling it. Mm -hmm. It It comes out of them. They can't, they can't help themselves, but they're scared to write it down. So Mm -hmm. I let them tell their stories through me. Mm -hmm. And, and um, definitely storytelling is informed my writing that way. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Oh, I'm finding this fascinating. I found it fascinating when you mentioned it in our writers group. So I'm finding it even more fascinating. Maybe it's something I need to look into just for my own curiosity. Who knows? It might help my writing. <laughs> so I think it would hurt anybody. No, I can't imagine. In that yeah. Area. The one thing that I find for me personally and um, that performance, getting up and sharing your writing, or for me, it's public speaking because I do a lot of public 
speaking for my day job, um, I found that performance pieces of actually like an actor, I've been taught by our, our wonderful um, acting coach at LCC, some wonderful speech um, tips as far as getting up and speaking. It's all around preparing as an actor. And I would think that the storyteller um, process is very similar to that. So it gives you that platform of getting ready to share yourself and your work as an almost like an actor. So that's what I'm intrigued by. <laughs> there, are, there are things that overlap. Mm-hmm. When yeah. I was beginning as a storyteller, I often rehearsed for my um, friend Don Carell, who was <laughs> from a coach at LCC. At yes, time. I love Don. <laughs> yeah, he changed my life. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, he changed mine too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he he gave me a lot of wonderful tips and in cleanliness of movement, in in listening to the silences. When uh, some storytellers object that's not theater storytelling isn't theater but there certainly are connections Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don, Don probably doesn't even know this about me. Cause I, I, I come off as a very vivacious, um, extrovert, even when I was in classes, you know, I was in, a, in classes with him, but I was terrified of public speaking, horrified, actually. Um, I had not practiced public speaking or been in a place where I could feel that I could do that well. And he really taught me the skills um, fabulously well. And now um, I get a, often in large crowds of peers, um, of my peers for work. And it's the one thing that my senior managers will say, you definitely do not have a need for learning how to public speak. You're fantastic. And I always think back to myself because I give credit to Don Carell because he taught me how to you know, prepare myself before I even get up there to do a, a speech or something. So, so he's fabulous. Um, so we have that in common is his advice. <laughs> so lovely. So let's, Leslie, talk about the other stage you mentioned, your playwright. So um, so listeners, when this podcast comes out, um, Leslie's play will have already come out as well. And you talked about it coming out as a podcast. So I'm very interested. So let's start about the aspect of writing a play. And then how did it get um, into the hands of a situation of going on a podcast? Okay, so Don, um, back in 98, I believe it was, invited me to collaborate with him on a play based on fairy tales, folklore, and myth. So he was taking my interest in storytelling and, and offering me an opportunity to learn a new skill. And it was the most wonderful gift he ever gave me. Well, that and introducing me to stage management, but that's another story. (laughs) So we wrote this play together, but it was uh, little scenes. You know, I'd take a fairy tale, he'd take a fairy tale, I'd take a myth, he'd take a myth. They were all in a common theme of stewardship of planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So we did the play that Don named The Time Traveler's Story Guide to Planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years later, we took it out, dusted it off, did a little revision, renamed it This Island Earth, and put it on again in the new theater. Mm-hmm. This whole thing uh, gave me confidence knowing that I could write a play, and yet I wanted to write one alone, and I wanted to write one of, uh, because this was his concept, his baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the protection of being able to write it without the risk of, of walking the tightrope by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really knew I wanted to test myself by doing a play. So here I am as a reporter working the crime beat. 
And Sheriff's Deputy Darren Ullman says uh, he he's the historian for the sheriff's office, and he's been researching the sheriffs of Cowlitz County, and he's found that we had three hangings in the county, and one of them, the very first one, was handled by Benjamin Holmes, and the man he hanged, he had to guard him for eight months until he hanged him, and then afterward he he had to dig the grave, he you know, and all these things, and and we speculated about what kind of relationship they must have developed over eight months. Sometimes he would have been the only prisoner. And Ben Holmes, everything that Darren was able to find out about him, which wasn't much, honestly, but it, he met some of his descendants. It sounded like he was a really kind-hearted guy and probably probably had a hard time, you know, thinking of somebody alone. In fact, Mark Nelson had told me that his dad used to bring prisoners home from the jail to have dinner at their house. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of think of Ben Holmes as being a little bit like that kind of guy. And I said, you know, this is fascinating. You make a great play. So in 2012, Darren said, you know what? You're talking about doing this play. Let's, let's work on it. So we sat down and we're working on it for a while together. He's writing a novel on the same thing. Oh, interesting. Um, and so anyway, uh, long story short, um, I left my job at the Daily News so I could go to Port, uh, Portland State University so I could study playwriting more thoroughly, more deeply. Oh, wonderful. Took a year-long dramatic writing class, took some courses, uh, weekend courses at Portland um, Center Stage, and uh, finished my degree, because I was working as a reporter uh, on a, an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. I finished a bachelor's, um, and then I dove deeply into the heart of courage, got it at full length, continued polishing and polishing, and sent it off to several different play competitions, and it was, they made it all the way to the finals of Ashland New Plays Festival. Oh, that is and, fabulous. Congratulations. Uh, I, I was thrilled. It did not make the final four winners uh, that are are um, being produced as we speak mm-hmm. at Ashland, but by making the final 15, it drew a lot of attention from um, from Ashland. Um, this is the, the New Plays Festival is not part of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, but they do do a lot of interaction. Mm-hmm. And this man um, from uh, the Ashland New Place Festival called me and he was asking if I wanted to be um, and interested in having the harder courage put on a podcast because he wanted the plays that didn't make it but were good enough to have made it. He said all 15 of them would have been worthy. Mm-hmm. He said that you make a decision of the four that goes from from you know sometimes just a matter of splitting hairs said, mm-hmm. and they get a chance to be heard by lots of people and workshopped and all these others all 11 in this particular year they don't get that and he thought you know plays they're meant to be said not read you know mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what if i put them on a podcast and people directors, producers, they can hear them maybe once they're driving or doing other things and they're mm-hmm. listening to a podcast and they'll get these plays out there. And I said, yes, I would love that. So he got some actors from the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. They recorded my play. I haven't heard it yet. Oh, how exciting. And um, he said that they were crying. He said it was, they were really, they loved it. And it's it's a it's a drama. There's mm-hmm. no emotion involved. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I'm very happy about it, and and I'm already working on another play. 
I, I think it's wonderful how it wraps around to the use of a podcast so that everybody has access to hear something that is um, maybe wasn't going to be accessible to everybody in their traditional route. You know, so, um, and I do hope, you know, by the time we publish this podcast, Leslie, I hope, you know, I think that the podcast um, with the play will be out and maybe we can link it in show notes as well. So my listeners. Absolutely. The play, uh, the the podcast is going to be start. um, it's going to be launched sometime in November. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll definitely get you the link. That will be fantastic. So listeners, if you're intrigued like I am, definitely go to the show notes. I'll make sure that the link for the play is there and you can hear it. So that will be absolutely wonderful. So Leslie, let me ask you this. You have had a long career as a author, a storyteller, and now a playwright. You're moving into a, a new stage, which is wonderful. You're inspiring to me. I, I would love to um, completely stop the work I'm doing now as my day job and go back to school and do a, a master's degree in fine writing and fine arts. <laughs> but I think my husband would have a heart attack. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm pressing on without it. Um, but... Um, tell us what keeps you inspired as an author, a storyteller, and now playwright. Well, I have to say my husband's a huge part of it. I mean, I could not have done any of the leaving my job and going to college without his support. Mm-hmm. He believes in me, and so that keeps me going. He sometimes, you know, I'll bounce ideas off of him, and he'll throw ideas back at me, and it's, you know, he's a participant in all mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's part of it. And another part is just, I love, I don't think I ever threw away the child in me. I, I, I keep that active. I love to delight in the simple things, sunshine, fresh air. Mm-hmm. And um, just, almost, I know it sounds silly, but it's like, you know, I look in the world and I look, it's like I'm seeing fairies or I'm seeing magic. Um, I don't want it to sound like I'm some kind of flake. I mean, I just am open to to all the the magic of the world, mm-hmm. all the all the blessings of the world. Mm-hmm. I and that does understand. Me. Yes, I I relate a hundred percent. So you're speaking my language, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I believe my listeners would agree. Um, just today, we as we're recording this, listeners, it's uh, the middle of October, probably one of the warmest Octobers we've had in the Pacific Northwest. And I was out raking what little leaves because we haven't had enough rain. I'm thinking. Oh, it's such an amazing thing to rake leaves. And I'm sure other people would think that that's just a chore. But for me, I enjoy it. And so I understand. Yes, it's wonderful. I live in the country. So so having all of that nature around me is rejuvenating every day. It is. It is. Well, thank you for sharing um, your, your inspiration and sharing a bit about who you are from storyteller to journalist to playwright. And now we're going to have you share a little bit of your work with our listeners to intrigue them as well. Um, so why don't you set the stage for what you're going to read? Tell us what you can tell us. Um, and um, I'm going to go on mute and let you go ahead and read. And then at the end, I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay. Well, this is uh, from Act Two of The Harder Courage. Ben Holmes and Robert Day have, at this point, known each other for eight months. Ben has arrested Robert and um, 
Robert has gone to trial. He's been convicted. He appealed. He lost the appeal. And now Ben knows that he has to hang Robert, but they've gotten to know each other very well. And this particular night during the death watch, in some of the conversations they've had have been very revealing. So afterward, Ben sends Robert um, to to the Catholic priest that Robert has kind of had um, a uh, a last minute conversion. But you know this was very common. All of this stuff in this play is based on things that happened or things that that could have happened, and the conversion happened anyway. Now Ben has gone to try to talk to the judge. And in this scene, um, the judge is off stage. This is a two-character play. It's uh, Act 2, Scene 9, setting June 3, 1892. And Ben is talking to the audience. I sent Father Kearns in to pray with Robert. And then I went to speak with Judge Bloomfield, who was staying in the courthouse room he uses when he's on the circuit here. I told him Robert Day isn't a common criminal. He has a real gift for healing with words, with stories. Even as I tried to explain it, I felt foolish. The judge was rolling his eyes and I could feel my face grow hot. How could I explain my own deep guilt, the secret I've never been able to share with anyone until tonight, and that Robert has given me a feeling of hope and the will to forgive myself, all because he got me to share my story. I feel as if I'm beginning to heal just at the moment when I have to take this man out of the world. But I couldn't say it. I stammered that he's a good man who made a terrible mistake. The judge said he could tell I was going to miss him, but any grandmother can tell me fairy tales if that's what I want. I said it's different. He said all stories must come to an end. He said don't forget that he took a young man's life and he was convicted by a jury. The people we serve expect justice, and if they don't get it, we'll have another oyster bill. I judge that trial, he, taught, he said. The judgment was set aside on a technicality, just as Billings tried to do with Day. Those prisoners never got a chance for a new trial because a lynch mob took the law into their own hands. Then he asked me how many lynch mobs tried to get Day, and I felt a chill thinking about that speech I made to the mob on the courthouse steps. He said, Robert Day's fate is to die, Ben. If it's not on the gallows, it's on a tree. I said, but what about his wife and five children? They're getting a life sentence of poverty and shame. Is this justice? He said, Ben, you've gotten too close. There's no room for sentiment in matters of this kind. You and I are creatures of the law. And you have your sworn duty to carry out the orders of the court. I keep hearing Robert's words in my head. It's my destiny. I ain't frightened by death anymore. I'll read a little more if there's time. Yes, definitely. Scene 10, June 3rd, the courtroom, just off the gallows. At rise, Ben brings Robert in. They're waiting to go out to the gallows. Robert's dressed in a suit. That's a nice suit. It was my, my wedding suit. 
I saved it to be buried in. I didn't plan to die in it, but God had other plans. Thank you for giving me time with Lizzie. It meant a lot to us. Is there anything else you'd like me to do for you? Yes, how about we skip the hanging? (laughs) Here, I I like these buried with me. My little girl Hattie drew the picture. Well, she's a good little artist for eight. Yes, that's Lizzie, Will, Dex, Walter, Hattie, and Frisco. Wherever I'm going, they'll be with me. Hattie embroidered this hanky, and Lizzie did this one. So if there's any crying in heaven, I'm all taken care of. Do I have time to smoke a cigar? Absolutely. Might give me the nerve to speak a few words out there. Is there a big crowd? Three or four hundred. And more coming. The hillside is black with humanity. All in their best bib and tucker, as if there were a Sunday school picnic. As many women and children as there are men. Maybe I should tell him a joke. Like the one about the lawyer. All right, I'll take your case. I'm confident I can get you justice. And the client says, hang it all. If that's the best you can do, I better go elsewhere. <laughs> or, 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 or I'll kick a bit. And then I'll jump out of the rope and say, my headache is gone. Oh, don't say that. They'll all want to turn. Right this way, folks. Right this way. Cures colic, sneezing, and rheumatism. The only after effect is a strange tilting of the head. Oh, this is terrible. We shouldn't be laughing. It's exactly why we should be laughing. We're two friends having the worst day of our lives, and we're going to get through it together. Or at least you will. I'll be lying down on the job. (laughs) You're incorrigible. Will you behave yourself on the gallows? I won't make trouble. I don't even see any need for you to be on hand. I can put the rope around my neck myself. That's a noble gesture, but no. I am the sheriff. All right, my friend. I'm ready to go. And that's the end of the scene. Bravo, Leslie. I'm hooked. <laughs> Lion and senior. <laughs> so I cannot wait to listen to the, the podcast. So very excited. Um, so, so as we go out, Leslie, any future plans that you want to share with listeners about um, upcoming plays that you're writing or books you're writing or anything like that? Well, I'm, I've just started a play um, about a female journalist in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, there were women journalists back then, and they were able to cover the same kind of news as men, some of them. Others were relegated to the women's page or as society news. But the one I'm writing about, she wants to write hard news. She wants to get out there and do the same stuff the men are doing. Mm-hmm. And she's based on, on a type, but not on any particular reporter. And I have, um, I've included, um, there was a kind of a panic um, at the time uh, of uh, hat pins. Mm-hmm. Um, when a, if a guy tried to get fresh with a woman, she might just poke him with that hat pin. And hmm. kind of freaked out about that, you know. So, <laughs> so in the play, uh, there there's somebody uh, who pokes a guy with a hat pin, and that leads to a story in the newspaper, and everything goes from there. 
Oh, sounds great. That sounds wonderful. I will definitely want to see the play. It sounds timely as well. <laughs> I know. There's a bit. There's a... Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you visiting with us and sharing with us a whole other aspect of authorship and in playwriting and storytelling. And um, listeners, if you liked what you what you hear heard here with Leslie, find her on Facebook and and look her up on her website. And Leslie, thanks so much for being here. Oh, you are welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.